Good morning and a a welcome to our service. It's good that we can be together as we gather to worship God. Let's just focus our, our thoughts as we hear from God's word in our call to worship from Psalm 92. Psalm 92 is, has the heading in the Psalter, a song for the Sabbath. And this is how the psalm begins. It's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. And so let's turn to the, the words of that psalm in the Sing Psalms uh, section. Psalm 92, the first A version of the psalm we sing from the beginning of the psalm from verse 1 to the end of the verse marked 6. How good it is to praise the Lord, to sing a joyful song. And to your name, O God, most high, make music all day long. We sing these four stanzas as we stand and worship God together. Shall we draw near to God as we pray together? Living God, we ask that you would still our hearts in your presence so that we might know that you are God. We do thank you that we have been able to sing these words that encourage us to come to offer our worship to you, even at the beginning of this day, as we look forward to the end of the day and when we will also gather. We thank you, Lord, for this day that you have given us, A day that is special, that is set apart, so that we can turn aside and come apart and offer our worship and our praise to you. We ask that you would come and draw near unto us, that as we meet together, you would come and meet with us. And as we come together and as we find access through the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that by your Spirit, you would come and meet with us to bless us and to do us good. We give thanks, Lord, for your goodness and your kindness towards us. We thank you that although we are sinners, your word assures us that when we confess our sins, then you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
And so we come in the name of Jesus and we pray that once again we might know cleansing and renewal. That once again we might uh, be washed and made clean in the blood of the Lamb as we come and draw near and offer our worship. We pray, Lord, that you would come and bless us, that you would meet with us. We thank you that as we are bowed in your presence, you know each one of us, you know our hearts, you know our needs. And we thank you that you are able to meet with us. We thank you that your grace is sufficient. We thank you that your strength is made perfect, even in our weakness. Lord, we give thanks for this opportunity of being able to come together as your people, uh, coming to worship you, the one living and true God. We do pray for any who cannot be with us, who are laid aside, or those who may be away at this time. We ask that they also might know uh, your presence and your grace and the Holy Spirit ministering to them uh, in their hearts. We pray, O Lord, for your blessing even today as your people gather in different places uh, and different groups, whether large or small. We ask, O Lord, uh, that even today your kingdom might come more and more in the hearts of your people and that there may be those who will come to a true and saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as they trust in him and know him as their Lord and as their Saviour. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the desire that you have given us to come apart and to offer worship. And so we pray that as we gather, as we read your word, as we hear your voice, the focus might not be on us, but it might be on you and what you are saying to us in the revelation that you have given us of yourself. Lord, we ask that you would draw near unto us, that you would bless us and that you would help us Lord, you know the challenges that we face. You know the weakness that we have, even in our own nature, to turn away from you. Indwelling sin is so often present there with us. Lord, forgive us, we pray. Turn us again to yourself. And may we know uh, that blessing of fellowship with you, the living God. Hear us then in our prayers as we offer them now. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to see some young folk um, around the, the church today. I wonder if you like playing games. I, I'm thinking about the kind of games that you might play inside. Uh, maybe like board games or card games. I don't know if you've got a favourite game that you like playing. Um, I've brought along a game here. It's in a little pack. It's different cards. And it's a version of Happy Families. Have any of you ever played Happy Families? Anybody? No? Nobody's? Yeah. Some of the adults have. Yeah. Well, Happy Families is a really good fun game. Um, and it comes in different versions. This one is called uh, A Woodland Happy Families. So all the cards are animals or birds. So at the beginning of the pack here, I have Mr. Owl. There's Mr. Owl. And then I have Mrs. Owl, and Miss Owl, and finally Master Owl. So there's one family, four cards, a mum, dad, and a brother and a sister. And that's the, the family. And so what you do, of course, is you mix all the cards up, and you hand them out to however many people are playing. And then the idea is for you to get a family of four cards to try and get all the members of the one family. So you want to get all the owl family or the next one here is the robin family or the hedgehog family or the mouse family or whoever it might be. You want to try and get them all together. And the person who wins the game has the most families, the most complete families. That's the winner of the game. Happy families. It's a nice idea because families often are happy, but we, often, we also know that families are not always happy. There are times when there's things that spoil families and that uh, make us unhappy. There's the problem of selfishness sometimes. We don't always love other people as we should because often we love ourselves more than others. And that can make for selfishness and disagreements and people behaving badly. 
So families, yes, they're, they're, they're good and they're great. They're a blessing from God, but they're not always happy. But there's something the Bible tells us, and we're going to be thinking about this today. When we trust in Jesus, then we join a new family. We don't just have our human family, mum and dad and others in the family, and grandparents and so on. We join another family. And that's a family that lasts forever. It begins in this world, and it goes on, and it lasts forever and ever once we join that family. It's the best family that anybody could ever belong to. The family of God's people, God's children. Because when we trust in Jesus, you know what? We all become children of God. And that's what we're going to be thinking about later on today as we look at God's word. So as you, if you ever play the game Happy Families, remember there's another family and it's God's family. It's about belonging to the family of God. The people who trust in God and who know Jesus as their own saviour. We're going to sing again. Uh, this time we're going to praise God as we sing in the words of Psalm uh, 22. Psalm 22. And we're singing the, in the Sing Psalms again. It's the long meter version. And we're singing from verse 22 uh, through to verse 25. These are words that are actually quoted in our second reading in Hebrews. Where these words are applied they're words that really Jesus speaks, but you know what? He's speaking about us, the people of God. Now to my brothers, I'll declare the praises of your glorious name. Within their gathering, I will stand, and your renown I will proclaim. Let's stand as we sing these four verses to God's praise. Let's turn to God's word as we find it first of all in the gospel of Luke. Luke's gospel 
chapter 8 and we read from the beginning of the chapter from verse 1 through to the end of verse 21. Soon afterward Jesus went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God and the twelve were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path, and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who when they hear the word receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And then our second reading as we continue to read God's word is in the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 2 and beginning to read at verse 5 as we read to the end of the chapter. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honour, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. 
For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For, he, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen, and may God bless these readings from his own holy and inspired word. Shall we again draw near to God as we pray together? Let us pray. O God, we bow in your presence as we come once again, as we bring our petitions and our prayers before you. We thank you that you delight in the prayers of your people. We thank you that you are a God who hears and who answers prayer. And so we come, Lord, and we do ask for your grace and and your mercy. And we pray again that you would bless uh, your word and your truth and your people as they gather up and down this land on this your day. We pray, O Lord, that you would be at work, that your Holy Spirit would be applying the truth to the hearts of, of men and women and young people, so that all of us might bow in, in submission and, and subjection to you as our King and as our God. Lord, we pray that even today your kingdom would come more and more. We thank you, Lord, for the desire that you have uh, given uh, our church to have a healthy gospel church in every area of the country. And so we pray, Lord, that once again that you would raise up those who will serve you and who will make you known. We pray that in places where there is darkness, in places where people do not have a knowledge of the truth, that you would bring those with the, the message of the gospel and the truth of your word and that you would establish your cause even in these places. Lord, as we pray for the church today, we also pray for those in positions of authority and of leadership. We remember our king and his advisors and all those who uh, are elected uh, politicians. We ask, O Lord, that all of them might know your grace and your help. That they might seek that wisdom that is from above. For you have promised to give wisdom. To those who need it. And so we pray that for those who make decisions and who rule and who exercise authority. That you would give them the wisdom that they need. And that you would enable them to lead us in ways that are consistent with your word and honouring to you. And so as we pray for our own country, Lord, we do come and we do pray today for the needy places of this world. We see a world that is so often in turmoil, a world that is groaning, that is subject to frustration because of sin and because of the human rebellion. Lord, have mercy upon us, we pray. We come, Lord, at this time and we pray for the situation that has developed uh, in Israel and and the countries round about. Lord, we ask that you would bring an end to that violence and that bloodshed. 
Lord, we pray that you would have mercy. We pray for your own people in these areas, that you would protect and keep them, that you would give them the grace and the wisdom that they need as they seek to love you and to love their neighbours. Oh Lord, we pray that you would be gracious. There are so many other places, Lord, where people are suffering, where there is distress, where there is hardship. Lord, have mercy, we pray, and bless those who seek to bring comfort and relief to those who are in need. There are those, Lord, who cannot meet even as we do, who do not have that freedom to assemble together as your people. Lord, draw near unto them. May they know your presence. May they be strengthened and encouraged. May you protect them and keep them as the apple of your eye. Lord, we commit these things to you. We remember, Lord, the work of your people in this congregation. We pray that you would bless them and help them as they seek to be a living witness uh, in this community and further afield. We pray for the needs that exist for people to help with outreach to young people so that the youth clubs that are planned uh, over the winter might be able to go ahead. Lord, we do ask that you would give a desire uh, for those who know you to reach out and to share this great message, this message of hope and and good news with young people so that there might be a rising generation who will know you and who will love you. Lord, hear us in these our prayers. Hear the unspoken uh, desires of our hearts, for you are the one who searches our hearts and who knows all that is within. Lord, hear our prayers as we offer them now in the worthy name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. Let's turn to the Psalms once again as we sing in Psalm 128 in the Scottish Psalter. Psalm 128 in the Scottish Psalter. We're going to sing the whole of the psalm. Blessed is each one that fears the Lord, and walketh in his ways. For of thy labour thou shalt eat, and happy be always. We sing these four stanzas as we stand and praise God together.
If you have a Bible, you might turn with me as we turn back to the Gospel of Luke once again. Luke's Gospel in chapter 8. And we read again at verse 19 as we read from 19 through to the end of 21. Then Jesus' mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Our theme, as we've already indicated with uh, young folk, is families. We're thinking about families today. I'm sure you're familiar with the expression, you can choose your friends, but not your family. You can choose your friends, but not your family. Because here, in, in these few verses, we have quite a lot of information about families. We see Jesus, and we see some of his family and as so often happens when Jesus is told something or he responds to a situation what he says is not what we might expect it's surprising he's told that these members of his family are waiting to see him they're there, they've come to visit him and he doesn't seem to be interested because his response is my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it who are we talking about here? We know who Jesus is, obviously, but who are these people who are identified here as his mother and his brothers? Well, his mother, of course, we know, Mary. We're, we're quite clear about that. Interestingly, of course, there's no mention of Joseph. It appears as if Joseph is, is no longer around, that, that he's died. In fact, that seems to be the case from the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. The very first miracle that Jesus performed as he begins his public ministry at the age of, around the age of 30, of course, happened in Cana, at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. Mary is there, the disciples are there, there are other people from Jesus' family, but there's no mention of Joseph. Joseph is not there. So Mary is his mother. What about his brothers? Well, Mark tells us who they are. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 3, the people in the synagogue, when they hear, after Jesus, remember, has read from the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, they begin to have a discussion about who he is and who his family are. And this is what they say. Isn't this the carpenter? So that's Jesus himself being identified as the carpenter. Sometimes it's Joseph who's described in that way, and that, that, of course, was the case. But naturally, a Jewish boy would learn the trade of his father. And so Jesus is identified as the carpenter, and then they go on, isn't this Mary's son? In other words, we know who this is. We know his family. And then we have his brothers, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. These are all brothers of Jesus. So they are probably the people who are here who've come to see him. His family, of course, didn't always believe uh, in him or be understand who he was. And so in Luke chapter 3, where, again, where Jesus again is surrounded by a crowd of people, this is what Luke tells us. He's so busy teaching, he's so busy engaging with people that he hasn't got time to eat. And so his family come to intervene. Luke tells us when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he's out of his mind. He's out of his mind. That was their opinion of Jesus at that time. They just didn't understand who he was or what he was about. And so they were going to come and take charge of him, as it were, and, and bring him into line and... and remonstrate with him as to why he was acting like in this way and not eat, even eating food which pe most people did so that's the background to this scene then the mother and brother of Jesus come and so there are three things I want us to consider uh, this morning together three questions to ask first of all what place 
for the family. What place does the family have? Because on the surface at least Jesus appears to be giving it a very low place. He appears to be almost pushing his family away. And I ask that question because it's not only here where Jesus reacts to his family that we might be left with that question, what place for the family? In Luke chapter 18, again, as large crowds are following Jesus, listening to him, this is what Jesus says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother and father, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And so I think you can see there is a question that we need to to ask and to answer. What place does the family have in the thinking of Jesus? Well, in that last quotation, of course, in that last speech of Jesus, Jesus is using a figure of speech, hyperbole, deliberate exaggeration to make a point. Scripture is full of figures of speech. Similes, metaphors, you remember them from school, the Lord is my shepherd and so on. All of these are examples of language being used in a particular way. And here Jesus is using hyperbole. He's using deliberate exaggeration to make a point. What's he saying? Well I think the clue comes in the very last clause of what Jesus says. The person who does not, who hates not even his own life even his own life. Jesus is saying that as we think of our relationships, as we think of our love for other people, even people in our families, that is to pale into insignificance compared with our love for him. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the point that he's making. Our love for him is to be so much greater than our love for any other person, even ourselves. Jesus, as we see in his teaching and in his life, upholds the the truth of God's word and the place of the family. He's not rejecting the family. And so in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 5, Jesus will remind the Jewish people of God's plan for human society when he says to them, Describing marriage. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Jesus there is upholding God's plan for human society, for a well-ordered society. It's marriage between a man and a woman. Or again, in Matthew 15, Jesus again upholds the fifth commandment when he reminds the Jews that they are to honour their father and their mother. Families matter. Family relationships matter. Families are important. But it's not only in the teaching of Jesus that we see that. We see it also in the way that Jesus lived. You remember when Jesus was 12 years old and Luke records this incident for us in the early chapters of his Gospel. He goes with his parents to Jerusalem. He may have gone before, we're not told. But certainly, as a 12-year-old Jewish boy, he goes because this is an important landmark. This is a significant age that he has now reached. He is moving from the community of children, as it were, into the world of adults as a 12-year-old. But what does Jesus do? He stays behind His family leave and his parents, Mary and Joseph, assume that he's with other members of the family. He's with the community, the people who came down from Nazareth. And then they find that he's not there. And they go back. And we're told that it was three days later that they find him sitting with the Jewish leaders in the temple. And Mary, if you remember, expresses her concern. They've been anxious. They've been worried. They didn't know where Jesus was. They thought he was with them and he wasn't. And Jesus reminds her 
who he is, that he had to be in his father's house. Even then, Mary had almost forgotten what she'd been told prior to the birth of Jesus as to who he was. And Jesus was reminding her, and these are the first words recorded, spoken by the Messiah in the Gospel of Luke. But then Luke tells us this. He says this. Then Jesus went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Jesus was an obedient son who honoured his father and his mother as the fifth commandment instructed him to do. But it's also at the end of Jesus' life that we also see his concern for family and to uphold family relationships. You remember how as Jesus hangs on the cross, standing witnessing that event, were certain people, one of whom was his mother, Mary. And beside her was the disciple, the beloved disciple, John. And what does Jesus say to them as he hangs on the cross? He identifies Mary as the one who will be cared for by John. He says to John, this is your mother and this is your son. He brings them together so that he is making provision for her as the eldest son in the family. So that she might be cared for. And it's John who's going to care for her. He is fulfilling his responsibilities in doing that. Family relationships matter. And it's Paul, as he writes to Timothy, who reinforces this when he says in his first letter to Timothy, in chapter 5, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So part of our Christian duty and responsibility is to care for family members. Two things then before we move on. Does the family matter? Well, yes it does. So first of all, as we think of our human families, the families that we belong to, let's recognise that they are God's gift to us in his common grace. They are one of the blessings that God gives us, that we belong to a family. Let's give thanks for our families. But secondly, as we give thanks for family, let's remember that families are not to be made into idols. Anything that is good, that is a gift from God, can become an idol. It can become or assume an importance that it should not have. We don't worship families. We worship God. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that. That families, however important they are and however they are part of God's order for this world, they are not to come between us and God. God is to have the supreme place in our lives. We are not to worship family. Because there is that tendency in society at times. Moving on then, we ask the question, what place for God's word Because Jesus says in verse 21, My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus here, of course, is referring to his own ministry. He's referring to his own role as a teacher, as a preacher. And we know that there were many who heard him preach. As you read through the Gospels, just as we read here in chapter 8, there's a description again and again of crowds of people gathering round Jesus Anxious to hear him speaking, to hear him preaching. But Jesus is saying here very solemnly, it's not enough to hear me preaching. It's not enough to hear these words. There needs to be more than that. We've already been reminded of that at the beginning of the chapter in the parable of the, 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 the sower, the farmer who went out with his seed. And you know very well in that story, in that parable, 
that the seed fell in four places and four types of soil there are four individuals represented there four human hearts it only produced a harvest in one in two of the, the places there was a response there seemed to be growth there seemed to be something that would, would yield a harvest and yet as time passed nothing came of it it withered and died Jesus' concern was that people would not only hear him, but that they would be obedient to what he was saying. At the beginning of Mark's Gospel, as crowds of people gathered round Jesus to hear him and and to be healed by him, this is what we're told. Jesus said to the disciples, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. And that is showing us very clearly that the ministry that we have, that Jesus had and that we seek to have as his people, primarily is to be a ministry of word. Whatever acts of compassion we might show, and that is also something Jesus did. The priority is the ministry of sharing his truth and his word. That is our priority. Whatever else we might seek to do to show compassion to those who are in need. And it's Jesus himself who warns people and it's recorded for us in Luke's gospel. That on the last day there will be those who will say to him. We heard you speak. You taught in our streets. We remember hearing what you said. And Jesus says to us. In that gospel. That his response will be. I don't know you. I don't know you. You may have heard me speak. You may have heard my words. But you did not respond in obedience. In repentance and in faith. I don't know you. Hearing is not enough. Hearing the word of God is not enough. It's what we do with it. It's how we respond to it. As we hear it. You remember how at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the the greatest sermon ever preached, recorded in Matthew 5 through to 7, Jesus tells a little parable, a little story. We know that the chorus, the wise man built his house on the rock and the rain, as we've seen, came down. And we know what happens when there's something that doesn't have a secure foundation. And then the foolish man built his house on the sand. The rain came and the house collapsed. What's Jesus saying? He's saying it's not enough to hear my word, my voice, my, the message I'm preaching. You need to believe. You need to respond. You need to have faith. You need to give obedience to what I am saying. If you don't, you're like the foolish man who builds on the sand. And when the rain comes and the storm comes, the house collapses. James makes the same point in his letter. At the beginning of that letter, he he describes how when we look in a mirror, as I'm sure most of us did this morning, we look in the mirror to to make sure that everything is, is as it should be as we prepare to go out into the world. But James says, the person who hears God's word and then just turns away is like somebody looking in a mirror and not doing anything when something needs to be attended to. It's foolish. It makes no sense. We need to hear God's word and we need to give obedience to it. Listen to what James says. He says, do not merely listen to this, to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. We need to obey God's word. 
shorter catechism in, in the questions and answers that we have. Question 90 asks the question, How is the word to be read and heard in order to become effective for salvation? And this is the answer, and some of you will no doubt remember it. For the word to become effective for salvation, we must pay careful attention to it, prepare ourselves, and pray for understanding. We must also receive it with faith and love, treasure it in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. That is how how we are to hear God's word. Two things before we move on. We give thanks today for God's word. That we have this revelation that God has given us of himself. And of how we can know him through faith in Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God for that. But secondly... Let's make it our desire, not just to be hearers of the word, but to give obedience to it. To respond in obedience when we hear God's word. And to do that because of our love for Jesus. Jesus said to the disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The evidence of our love for for the Lord Jesus will be in the way that we seek to obey his word. But thirdly, we have another question. What place for our true family? Verse 21 again. Jesus said, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus, as we've said earlier, is speaking about another family here. A family that is even more important than the human family that we belong to. He's talking about those who love him and obey him. Quite often in these days we might talk about the church family, meaning the congregation that we belong to, the the people that we meet with, and we describe them in that way. And it might just sound like a nice way to speak about other believers who we meet with and worship with and and share fellowship with. But I think Jesus is saying something more here. He's saying that when we know him and trust in him, then we actually belong to a new family. We belong to his family. That's what the church is. The family of God's people. And we become members of that family by the miracle of adoption. When we're born again by the Holy Spirit of God, we are brought into the family of God. We become children of God. And you remember how Paul describes this wonderful truth in his letter to the Romans in chapter 8. When he says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, that we are God's children Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. The truth then is that God is our Father, and Jesus is our elder brother. And that's what the writer of of the letter to Hebrews is, is saying. He's describing how Christ became one of us so that he might make us one with him. So that we might become his brothers. And so in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 11, we read this, Both the one who makes men holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's us, are of the same family. We're family. We're family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers. Or again from Psalm 22. I will declare your name to my brothers. We are part of God's family. You remember the story of Saul's conversion that's recorded in in Acts uh, chapter 8. 
That wonderful story of Saul and the, uh, as he goes with hatred in his heart to arrest and to imprison Christians. And how he meets the Lord Jesus on the way to Damascus. And then how Ananias is sent to speak with him. Ananias who is already a believer. Who's heard about this man. Who's afraid to go and meet Saul. Until the Lord tells him. No, he's one of mine now. He knows me. Do you remember when Ananias meets Saul? How he greets him. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. This man who would have, just a few days before, would have arrested him. They would have been enemies. Ananias would have kept away, as far away from him as he, as he could have. He now greets him and he says, Brother Saul. And so as Paul writes his letters to the different churches scattered throughout the Roman Empire, he sends greetings to brothers and sisters in these churches. Often the word that is rendered brothers could also mean sisters as well. Brothers and sisters. Siblings. People who are now part of God's family. And so as Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 3, he puts it like this. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We belong to a new Family, the family of God's people. And unlike the human families that we belong to, this family begins now and continues into eternity. Earlier we talked about Jesus making provision for his mother as he identified John as the one who would care for her. But that's a beautiful illustration of the reality that is now true of God's people. Mary and John were not mother and son. But Jesus now brings them together as his, part of his family, where John will now care for her. That is the truth of, of what has happened through adoption. We are now children of God. Sometimes people have, have said to me that uh, they are unable maybe to, to attend a meeting or to go somewhere or to do something because family are coming or they're expecting family to meet with family. Now we all have responsibilities and duties but I sometimes wonder have they understood that actually they belong to another family, the family of God? And it ought to take precedence over the human family. That's what Jesus is saying here. My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So my question to us today is, have we felt the force of that? Do we understand the reality of what it means to belong to the family of God? And as we look around and see people in our fellowship, in our congregation... To think these are my brothers and sisters. This is my family. Do we understand that? Families as we know are not always easy. We've seen in, in, even in Jesus' own situation. As he began his ministry. How his own family did not understand his ministry and who he was. To begin with, they did not realise just what was happening. And so that's why Paul, as he writes again to the Ephesians, says to these believers, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That is a challenge for each of us as those who are in a fellowship of God's people. And when there are times when we may be disappointed by other believers, and there will be such times, then at these times we need to remember that God is our Father. Even the best of human fathers will fail at times. 
that God is a loving Father who cares for his children. And at such times we need to remember that Jesus is our brother who knows us and understands us, who cares for us. Two things then as, as we think of this, of belonging to God's family. Let's give thanks for the privilege of, of being part of this family. There are many people in our world, in our society, who are searching for meaning, who are searching for identity, who don't really know or understand who they are or where they belong. As God's people, we are part of God's family. God has made us his children. We can give thanks for that. But let's seek to demonstrate that we do belong to this family by our love for one another. Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by your love one for another. And it was said of the early church, Behold how these Christians love one another. And this is not an option. It's not something we can choose or we can say, well, I'll love these people but not these people. I'm going to choose. No, we can't do that. Listen to John again in his letter. He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. If we love God, then we will seek to love our brothers and sisters who are part of God's family. And remember this, you can choose your friends, but not your family. May God bless his word to us. Shall we pray together? Our gracious God and our Father, we do thank you for the blessings which are ours through faith in Jesus Christ, that we have been brought into your family as your children, and so that we can address you as our Father in heaven. Lord, we thank you that you are a Father who cares, who knows and understands, and we thank you today that Jesus is our brother, and we thank you that you have placed us in a fellowship of your people, of brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us then to love one another as your people and to be a witness in this world. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we now conclude our worship as we sing together in the words of Psalm 28 in Sing Psalms. In Psalm 28 at the end of the, the psalm, these uh, last Three verse stanzas. Praise to the Lord, for he has heard the plea for mercy which I made. He is my strength, he is my shield. I trust in him who sends me aid. Let's stand as we worship the Lord and sing these three stanzas together.
And now may the love of God and the grace of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and remain with us now 